Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back, uh, the Unsuckable Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Feit, and yeah, it's been a tough weekend, I think, for everyone. Uh, horrible scenes coming out of Ukraine, uh, Russia's war of aggression on their neighbor, I think has, has taken a toll on all of us. And um, we're going to start the episode with, with that topic this week. No heavy topic, of course. Um, and before we go into it, I'm going to bring in the other guys. No Josh today. He can't join us. Yeah, he's busy, um, but that's fine. He'll be back very soon. But um, Adrian is here as always. Adrian, how's it going? Not too bad, Manuel. Not too bad. You basically summed it up. I think that's how all of us are sort of feeling. It just feels very heavy, you know, that that double combo. You feel like you're coming out of a pandemic straight into this now. So it's it's a bit heavy, isn't it? But we're here. We got to talk about it. So we will. We'll do our duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually helping us a little bit with that first part is Filippo. Because, um, I mean, people who follow me on Twitter know I did write my PhD dissertation on football and politics in the Soviet Union, the post-Soviet space. And I'd be quite honest, like I did talk about it on Game Pressing earlier this week about Germans' involvement, German football's involvement in the in, in Russia and how it's impacted it. And um, I feel really heavy about it too because, of course, there's friends, lots of friends back in Ukraine. I spend a lot of time in Kiev. Um, so it's been hard, Filippo, but how, is he, how are you doing? Yeah, I think we're all coping with it here in, honestly, a privileged position, obviously, because mm. we're not actually dealing with it, right? Um, hopefully, it gets sorted out and we don't have to actually deal with it. But just hoping that everything resolves because I don't think war is ever going to solve anything, right? It never really has. So we'll go from that and everyone listening can just relax. Don't worry. We're not going to talk about this too much. We're going to dive into how it's affecting the soccer world right now. We're going to dive into a lot of the things that we we need to touch upon of how it impacted so far. And hopefully this is the most that it gets out of it, right? Hopefully it starts to tone down from here and we'll go into it. I think the caveat is up until now, Monday, uh, sorry, Tuesday, March 1st, because fast-changing situation isn't it Filippo yeah uh let's let's hope it turns around that's that's what we can do right now not much more we can do besides that at this point mm-hmm. I think the the right some actions that had to be taken were taken and we'll go through the impacts of what's happening in the soccer world here yeah um I think before we start and I think the big one will be Schalke right 
thoughts and prayers with all the people affected by this war in, in Ukraine. Um, the images are terrible. Um, it's a very bad thing. So our thoughts and prayers with all the people there. All right, Manuel, want me to take it from here? Yeah, you go, Philip. All right. You take over so, now. So I'm going to be hosting the section here. Where we're going to talk about the impact here of, you know, the Russian invasion in soccer because Manuel and, and Adrian are definitely more on part of what's happening. And I, I wanted to start with, especially you, Manuel, you can start with this one because I know you know a lot about what's going on. So Schalke, they ended their relationship with their main sponsors. Is that correct? Yeah, Gazprom. Um, of course, Russia's largest oil and gas company has been the sponsor of uh, Schalke since 2007. It's a significant contract. When it was first signed, it was a deal worth 150 million euros. Um, they, even in Bundesliga 2, where they are now, right? And they're financially in a very dire situation, and even without this, where they were in a financial, very difficult position. Um, they were receiving 10 million euros a year from Gazprom. Um, that's a lot of money for a second division side. It's a huge, huge sponsorship contract, right? And um, they made the decision to not have Gazprom on their shirt for the game on the weekend. Uh, they replaced it with the slogan Schalke 04 or Schalke 04, right? 04 is, of course, 1904 when the team was founded. Um, and then on Monday, they made the decision to end the relationship with Gazprom Germania, which is, of course, the subsidiary company that handles all of Gazprom's businesses in Germany. Now, um, Gazprom, of course, is a company that is very much active in Germany, period. Um, Russian oil and gas and other resources supply what is the world's uh, first or second largest exporter of goods. Um, it flip-flops with China back and forward, right? If you have if you have a product in your hand, there is a high chance that something in that product was made in Germany, um, and a lot of these natural resources come from Russia. Um, so there's a very, very, was a very close relationship between um, Germany and Russia for many, many decades, um, going back even through this time of the Soviet Union. So um, because of that, Gazprom, of course, was an important partner for Schalke 04. That deal was uh, um, put in place by the former German Chancellor Gerhard Schröder and the former president of Schalke, Clemens Tönnies, um, who actually um, is in the meat processing business and has had operations in Russia as well. So that relationship is ended. Um, that's a big blow for Schalke. And I thought it was really interesting what some of the other teams in German football had to say about it, because they know that for Schalke, they're already in a very difficult situation with over 100 million euros in debt. They need that money desperately. And uh, Borussia Dortmund, the, or Borussia Dortmund is Schalke's biggest rival in Germany, Hans-Joachim Watzke, came out on the weekend and said, the rest of the German clubs will have to help Schalke financially to get through this. And I think that's the right response to show solidarity. Of course, clubs want to do the right thing, right? And how the right thing is to end those relationships. And in fairness, too, we have to underline this sanctions on Russian businesses mean that these businesses probably wouldn't have to have the chance to pay the money anyways, right? The Russian ruble has collapsed. A bunch of banks have already declared bankruptcy and there isn't currently any chance to pay for oil and gas deliveries because of the ending of SWIFT, uh, the banking system that uh, the, that, that looks for us. 
uh, seamless transition of money between Russia and the, the rest of the world has also been ended. So Schalke would have had to probably do it either way. Um, and it's interesting that the other German clubs are now coming out um, trying to help. So that's the, the, the first big one, Filippo. I think that we have seen when it comes to German football. I want to bring Adrian in here and then back back to you, Manuel, for still staying in this topic here. Russian clubs and the national team are banned by FIFA and UEFA until further notice. We don't know how long that'll last. It can even last a while. What I want to dive into before we talk about clubs is national team. I want to go to Adrian for this one because he's been covering uh, the UEFA playoffs. How does that impact the other teams? Who was Russia going to originally face and they were going to host Am I wrong or am I right about that? They were going to host the games. Yeah, I believe that Russia was going to play. It was either, was it Poland? I mean, Manuel can help me out with this one because I haven't actually been following it. I've been mostly yeah. following how it was, Poland. it was Poland, right? So yeah, it would have been Poland. Um, and I think it also in their playoff, it was, was it Sweden and the Czech Republic as well? Correct. Yeah. On their side. Yeah. And so all of them made these statements basically saying that they refused to play First off, in Russia, and then they sort of amended it and said that they refused to play Russia, period, based on the sort of aggression that they have towards Ukraine. Um, and I don't think that they've made any announcements following, you know, the the announcement that said that Russia will no longer be taking part. I don't think that they've yet announced who will be taking their place in the playoff. I know that I think it's Slovakia has been spoken of as a potential one as they finish behind Russia and then also Norway as far as the... Uh, the Nations League standings go as a potential replacement. But it's, you know, on the one hand, you you got to feel bad for the athletes, um, especially the ones who don't identify with what Putin is doing. You got to feel bad for those athletes and how this is affecting them. But it's hard to see another sort of route for UEFA and FIFA to take in this when one nation is actively invading another, actively carpet bombing cities, shooting missiles off at, at residential areas. It's it's difficult to then say, okay, now you have to go play against that nation, let alone you have to go play in that country, which never would have happened, I don't think. But it's a strange one. Um, and I do feel for Spartak as well, as they're now booted out of the Europa League. They won't be playing RB Leipzig. So RB Leipzig gets a free pass into the next round. Um, but again, it's it's unfair to the athletes, yes. But war isn't exactly fair, is it? So it's it's nobody wins. Everyone's losing in this situation, aren't they? Yeah, and at the end of the day, what many have to understand is these decisions are make made to impact Russia, right? Yeah, it, it is to hurt Russia. Unfortunately, it's a measure that has to be taken. I want to ask you one thing too, uh, Manuel. In terms of how this impacts, is there any chance that UEFA would redo the draw of the the playoffs for the World Cup? Is there any chance that would happen? They would include a nation and redo the draw, or that won't happen? <sighs> I, I actually heard that uh, Poland might get a buy. Um, to be honest, I, I don't 100% know. Um, something that I have to look up myself. And I don't know whether we have um, a final decision on that yet. So there is actually a chance that Poland might just get a buy to the final. Um, but it, also I could see them um, just including one of these other countries that haven't um, made it to the playoffs. Um, I think you look at the decision that UEFA made in regarding um, of the Europa League um, tie between Spartak and um, RB Leipzig. 
that gives you some sort of indication of where it might go with the Champions League, uh, the World Cup qualifiers, right? Which are also done by UEFA. FIFA is, of course, the governing party for the World Cup, but UEFA organizes the World Cup qualifying in for for that stage um, within Europe. So that gives you some sort of indication of where it might go. Um, and I think that's the right decision. RB Leipzig were very coy about making any sort of statements leading up to it. Um, they were in close contact with UEFA and it's difficult and they were criticized within Germany for not making a clear statement like Poland did, right? Um, but of course, they they didn't want to communicate something that wasn't decided and Oliver Minzlaff had a very emotional uh, press conference. Oliver Minzlaff is, of course, the CEO of RB Leipzig, need to point that out. Had a very emotional press conference today where he said that it would have been very difficult to play uh, anyways and... Um, even question whether we should be playing at all. Um, so Leipzig, yeah, get a bye to the next round. Um, I, I want to say something else. Um, and um, Adrian kind of pointed this out. And I agree with you 100% here. It does, it is not great for the individual Russian athletes. But... We're at a position now where we, the West, cannot end this conflict. The moment we do send in active troops into Ukrainian territory, um, and with that I mean any of the 30 member states of NATO, uh, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, we would be engaged in a shooting war on Russia with all its consequences. That's the same is true for the no-fly zone that has been brought up over and over and over again. A no-fly zone has to be militarily protected. If we, the West, again, I mean with that NATO, imposes a no-fly zone over Ukraine, that means we will have to send fighter jets there to impose that flight zone, no-flight zone. Again, that would mean a direct engagement with Russian troops. Um, that is just not going to happen. Because right now, if one person presses the button, we're 45 minutes away from mutual destruction takes 45 minutes for all nuclear missiles to be launched on both sides. Just let that sink in for a moment. And um, so the only thing that can be done at the moment is extreme pressure through sanctions. And those sanctions have to hit the individual Russian. That has to hit Vladimir on the street. Um, it has to hit individual people. And it's terrible for them. But it's just not even close to as terrible to what happens to the individual Ukrainian on the street fighting this aggression at the moment. And at the end of the day, um, one example that has been brought up to me a few times, and I've mentioned it in another podcast, is South Africa. The pressure on the general population to end injustice conducted by their own country on another people has to be so high that their own country then decides for change within and this is the only way we can stop Russia from doing what they're doing in Ukraine right now is for change within, right? And that can only happen through street protests, through someone, one of the bigger upper echelon people to say to Vladimir Putin, this is enough. This needs to stop. And it has to come from several people. There's four main pillars in Russian society, the oligarchs, the military, the secret service, and the people. And those four pillars, that's where Putin's power is resting on. And I think that kind of touches on one of the next topics, right? When we talk about the oligarchs, Filippo, and that's Chelsea. Roman yes, Abramovich. That's, that's what we were going to dive into right now, uh, what's going on with Chelsea. Because Abramovich is trying to find an escape plan where he can somehow 
kind of keep Chelsea to himself. Uh, but at the same time, it seems like maybe he's going to be forced to sell Chelsea. Anyone that has any updates, and I want to probably go to Adrian first on Roman Abramovich here. How? What do you think is going to happen to Chelsea here? Because it's it's quite a situation, right? Because Chelsea the past few years, or even not a few years, I'd say two decades now, ever since Jose Mourinho's era in Chelsea in 2004 was going on, it was built upon Roman Abramovich's money. So actually going to you, Manuel, what do you know? What's up with Chelsea? What's going to happen there? That's what I'm trying to figure out because it's very sketchy what's happening. It's difficult, right? Um, he's trying to hand off the club to the Chelsea supporters' trust. But they, um, they, they rejected it, I believe. Yeah, they, they're trying to reject it. Um, I think he's trying to... I think, look, look, listen, any move I think that he's making right now is trying is him trying to get the UK government um, to buy time before the UK government essentially seizes the club as a foreign asset, uh, as a foreign enemy asset, um, which could come with all sorts of consequences, including liquidation. Uh, <laughs> that's a powerful word, right? Um, but that's quite possible. Look, um, Chelsea in its current form wouldn't be the club that they are. You know, I think I tweeted this out earlier this week. Um, Abramovich's money bought the club two Champions League titles, five Premier League titles, a FIFA World Club Cup, a five FA Cups, three League Cups, and two European European uh, UEFA Europa League titles, and then of course the UEFA Super Cup and. Since Abramovich has taken over Chelsea, they have spent 217 billion euros on new players. The only team that has spent more is Manchester City. And we're not talking about... Wait, 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 wait. Just the fix that. Just fix... Because you said 250 billion. Two point... Sorry. 2.17 yeah. billion. Yes. Yeah, because people are um, going to call us out on that. It's like, no... Yeah, yeah. 2.17 billion euros. Um, and Man City, just to clarify this... They have, in the same period, have spent 2.25 billion euros. So Chelsea wouldn't exist without Abramovich in its current form. Let's be clear about that. So I think he's trying to find, he's trying to buy himself time. This is this yeah, is what and, I'm and, gathering, right? And I, I saw even reports at one point that he was even trying to go help negotiate to end the conflict because he's being directly affected. Um, well, also he was one of the people to... Uh, to get Putin in power in the first place because he's very close friends with Boris Yeltsin. Vladimir Putin, of course, was um, chosen as the successor for, for Boris Yeltsin, the former president of Russia. I, um, I in, just think Vladimir, Vladimir could easily get a job in a James Bond movie as a villain. He would, just have to, <laughs> he would just have to act like himself. He doesn't have to do anything else. If he just stands there and talks like he talks, acts how he acts... He's the perfect James Bond villain. Former KGB officer, right? Uh, grew <laughs> up on the streets of streets of St. Petersburg and he had elbows of steel to get to the position he did. And look, the oligarchs wanted him. At the end of the day, and this is a historic fact, and this is I'm not making this up. It's my it's my PhD dissertation. It's in many books that were written about oligarchs. And at the end of the day, Roman Abramovich was one of the decision makers with that. But Manuel, staying with Chelsea, uh, and I think this one is a topic that all three of us can comment on. We saw a very emotional Thomas Tuchel today, I believe. Was it? Yeah, it was today uh, in a press conference. They kept pressing him about the whole situation, the entire situation. And Tuchel 
kind of, I wouldn't even say he snapped on the reporter. I would say he just let his emotions out. And in my personal opinion, I think Thomas Tuchel was right, right? He was being pressed to answer a question. He just didn't want to. And and also it's, it's, it's not what he's paid for there. And, and, and what else is he going to say? Essentially, that's what he said. But I want to pick your brains on it. What did you guys think of that? Should the media continue to push the coaches against the corner in terms of that? I think media pressure in terms of soccer performances, yeah, sure. If a coach snaps on that, well, just deal with it. That's part of your job. But he was being asked certain questions that are not part of his job. And there's really nothing he can do about it. That's what he was trying to say. What are your thoughts on that? Can I go first, Adrian? Yeah, by all means, go ahead. I just have a very particular thought on this. I do feel sorry for Tuchel for having to answer these questions. It's very hard as a member of the media to access football clubs. And Chelsea as a football entity has chosen not to speak about this. The only person that we have access to as members of the media is Thomas Tuchel. And so the media will ask him those questions because he's the only one we can ask. And these questions need to be asked. At the same token, and this is where I'm really curious what you both think about this, I actually think Thomas Tuchel is quite right to say what he says. Um, But in the same time, for a member of the media, that is a quote that we need to get. We need to get that quote. We need to get that very outburst to understand how people who work for Chelsea as an organization feel about being put into a situation that they're not comfortable in and cannot answer. So as a member of the media, we need to ask the question and we need to ask it repeatedly, even if we know what the answer is going to be, because he's the only person we can ask. I agree with that. I think that, like you said, the media has sort of the obligation to ask these sort of things. And especially when, you know, like how often do you get the opportunity to actually interview Roman Abramovich? It never happens, right? So the only guy that you have access to is Thomas Tuchel, as you highlighted there. But like you said, I can absolutely see from his point of view where he just wants, I mean, this is something he said when he was at PSG as well. Like when questions became too, and mind you, these weren't political. These were just about the dressing room. But what he said was, am I a politician of sport, basically? And he just wanted to speak about the football. So he sort of has this this pedigree, I guess, or at least it's happened in the past where a lot of the time at his press conferences, it seems like everyone wants to talk about everything but the football. So you can understand his outburst in that respect. And I think that that particular outburst that he had, I think that there was about three questions prior just surrounding the war before he finally burst out and said, look, can we just talk about the football basically? Right, Filippo? Yeah. uh, What I was going to say is I understand what you both are saying, where you're coming from. They need to ask someone from Chelsea. And it seems like the one guy that they would probably want to ask that would probably be Abramovich. And well, he's not available. So Thomas Tuchel was the one they had. But at the same time, if let's say Tesla has an issue with the government or involved in some scandal and you can't access Elon Musk, you're going to go ask an engineer? Is it really, is he really the one that's going to address that situation, right? Uh, I know Chelsea's involvement with this or connection, right? Not involvement because Chelsea's not involved with this. Chelsea, the, the soccer club is not involved with this, but their owner is, right? There's a connection. But what does Thomas Tuchel have to do with this? That's my whole point. The guy has absolutely nothing to do with this. 
so it's just disingenuous at this point for the reporters to keep pushing on a topic where clearly he's not comfortable talking about. Clearly, he's not really feeling good about it, like all of us. I just don't. I think it's just disingenuous from the media in that sense. I'm all for them pressuring him in terms of results, tactics, performances, but that just goes a little. It's it's not on him to so, respond in regards to Chelsea and the ownership. But he's the only person you can ask. And but but it's, it's not, not like him. it's not like Marina Kanoskaya or Roman Abo, Roman Abramovic or anyone or anyone else or Peter Cech. But he, he doesn't have there. the info, Manuel. Do you think yeah, Abramovic? No, no. What I, Philippe, what you don't understand as a member of the media, we are supposed to ask those questions, and he is the face that Chelsea put forward, and it it, it does it's terrible for him because yes, you're right. It's like asking. Some is like asking a spokesperson for Tesla on why their cars keep like making mistakes, right? Or like the self-driving thing doesn't work or something like that, right? But in the end of the day, that is the that is the face that Chelsea chose to put forward, knowing full well as an organization that those questions are going to be asked. So I, I don't think the media can be blamed for asking those questions. The blame is full on on the organization for putting but keep putting forward, put that media, person forward. But what were they expecting Tuko to say? He he's no, probably completely clueless. That's not our, to our, our job doing. is not our job is not to judge a person for the answers. Our job is to ask the questions. I just can't see where Tuko would have any response to them. Uh, he's probably not aware of what's going on in upper management. He's focused on his job. And but anyhow. Um, in that for that situation, I need to move on to the the last part that we want to talk about the whole chaos that Russia is causing here. Benfica's Yaremchuk. Did I say it right, Adrian? Because this one's yes, all sir. yours. You got you it. Want to go through it? Walk us through it. Yeah, this is actually just sort of a nice way to sort of wrap up all of this somewhat depressing talk about what's going on with Ukraine and Russia, where Benfica, we were taking on Vitoria Guimarães this weekend, and uh, just after an hour, Darwin Nunez was subbed off, and Roman Yeremchuk, of course, Ukrainian football player, striker, came onto the pitch, and he's never been captained before, but uh, Jan Vertonghen, you know, took it upon himself to also go over there and hand the captain's armband to Roman Yeremchuk as he came onto the pitch. Standing ovation, everyone in the crowd waving, you know, yellow and blue of, you know, shirts or banners or whatever. And Roman Yaremchuk, anyone who's seen him know that he doesn't really, he's not a very emotive guy. He doesn't smile. He doesn't laugh. He doesn't really, you know, the closest thing you'll see from him is anger or determination. And with everything that's going on, with the emotional duress that clearly he's under, to feel that sort of support from the entire stadium, everyone chanting for him, being named as captain when he came onto the pitch, um, it brought him to tears, which is something that I don't think many people who follow Ukrainian football or just follow football in general will have seen from Roman Yeremchuk. So it was a really nice moment, a very nice sort of viral moment. Um, and we saw similar things happening in the Premier League as well with Zinchenko and uh, I believe it's Mikalenko who's at Everton as well. Them getting very nice receptions this weekend um, because 
I can't imagine trying to focus on playing a, a stupid sport like football, sport we all love, of course, but to play the stupid thing when your family and, you know, not only are they getting bombed, but there's going to be sort of a migrant crisis now with all the people that are getting displaced. So it was nice to see that kind of support and people rally around these players this weekend just to sort of put a little bow on this Ukraine talk at the end here. Yeah, so just to end this part of the topic, as Manuel said earlier in the podcast, we're sending everyone our thoughts and prayers, and hopefully uh, as the podcast goes on week by week, we get better news and we don't even have to talk about this anymore. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void were prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, 467-369. Manuel, I'll let you take it from here. Let's go through transfers now, shall we? Yeah, that sounds a lot more fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's um, way more way more i mean way sometimes, more fun. sometimes it's bad depending on who team you cheer for but there's some good transfers to talk about this week yeah i think so um a really interesting one and i'm actually kind of curious to hear your opinion on this and yours as well adrian because i think you know leads better than i do as well um jesse marsh to leeds united um he didn't have the best of times at Leipzig. And if you're interested in where it all went wrong for him at Leipzig, um, I had Derek Ray on game pressing and we broke that all down there. So I want to leave that part in the past um, and focus on the positive. Filippo, do you think this is going to work? I mean, I think Leeds have been looking for an American face for some time because, of course, the San Francisco 49er ownership is heavily involved at that club. But... I've met Jesse a few times. Um, I've seen his football at Salzburg. He's A, a really good person, and B, he he does play some really nice football if he has the right tools available. So the the first thing we got to look into is the standards for this season at Leeds United are pretty low for him. So Jesse Marsh pretty much takes the Leeds United that's in very bad form in fighting against relegation. If he finishes the season and is not relegated, it'll be considered a success. And then he's going to have to build from there. And then we can even address of like Brendan Aronson, if he's going to go or not. I know you don't believe it'll happen. I don't want it to happen. But the bar is very low right now. All he has to do is escape relegation. I think Leeds United does have a good enough team to escape relegation. Right? If we look at the Premier League table right now, 
the teams are going to go against the ones that are fighting uh, Watford, Burnley. I think even Brentford is going down a little bit more. I think they're more than capable of getting away with it. Norwich, to me, pretty much at this point is relegated. They do have some pieces that can be useful. I, I believe Calvin Phillips is returning from injury or has already returned. He He's a classic Red Bull Ragnick guy, right? He likes to press, press, press. And when I talked to Brendan Aronson in the channel, that's what he said as well. A very pressing system, a very pressing-like system, which is a little bit of what Bielsa had. And at one point, it worked for Leeds. With this current roster, I believe they have enough to not get relegated. Now, the question remains of what he's going to do with the roster building for next season and who's going to leave, who's going to arrive. I can see Calvin Phillips leaving. I can see Rafinha leaving after the season. How is he going to replace them? How is he going to build the roster? And how is he going to do in the Premier League? I think for this season, Manuel, responding to your question, I think he'll be fine this season. He'll escape relegation. In regards to next season, the success or not, it remains a question mark. I mean, Jesse hasn't proven that he has any tactical flexibility. He's very repetitive on his way, and he doesn't really change it. And we saw that at Salzburg when he got wrecked by Bayern in one of the games that they were playing toe-to-toe in the second half. He was not capable. I think he lost 6-3. And we saw this with Leipzig during the entire six months, along with other issues that I know he was having personal problems that came out today that we saw that uh, Jesse Marsh's wife was dealing with breast cancer during his time with Leipzig, and that most certainly did affect him in one way, shape, or form. But I do have my doubts. Regardless, I think this is a great opportunity for Jesse Marsh in another top five league to prove his worth. And I think that what the biggest challenge for him is going to be is going to be sorting out this defense because that's clearly what Bielsa was struggling with the most. I mean, they have the worst defense in the entire Premier League. 60 goals conceded from 26 matches. That's an average of 2.2, goals per game that they're conceding right now. So I think that going forward, you know, Justin Marsh does play attractive attacking football. I think that going forward with the assets that he has there, Rafinha, Rodrigo, etc., um, I think that they'll be okay. Even Daniel James, which I know is sort of a meme for for Manchester United supporters, but even him in this side could do some damage, I think, going forward. But it's that defense that's going to basically be whether you know Jesse Marsh lives or dies at this club type of thing. So I think that he has a huge, huge hill to climb. But like Filippo said over and over, this squad is definitely good enough to finish above the likes of Norwich and all the other ones that are sort of battling for relegation right now. So I think that he'll be okay. But yeah, like Filippo said, next season will be the true test for him. Do you think that, and, and either one of you guys can jump in because, uh, because we have, of course... Um, take a German lens on this, um, Robin Koch there. And uh, Robin has been playing a lot in defensive midfield. Um, I see him more as a center-back. I don't know if either one of you wants to answer that, but that's probably going to end for him now, right, playing in defensive midfield because he does probably going to be better used in as a center-back, right, Filippo? Wasn't he there because of Calvin Phillips's injury? I, I could be wrong. Look, I'm not a Leeds United fan, and I don't. I follow the Premier League, so I know what's up with them. But I don't know the exact reason why he was playing there. But I know Calvin Phillips has been dealing with injuries. I wonder if that was one of the main reasons. Uh, but I'm not sure, Emmanuel. I don't know if Adrian has any insights on that. 
I can't speak to that exactly, but I mean, just Robin Koch, I remember him because Benfica was very heavily linked with him for a long time, and I always knew him as a center back. Um, yeah. His former side was Freiburg, was it? Yes, correct. Yeah, so and I believe he was utilized more as a center back there, so that mm. definitely did surprise me a little bit, but if they are having injuries in midfield, perhaps that is exactly why Bielsa put him in there to try and get a little bit more cover for that back line as well, because like I said, they've just been absolutely hemorrhaging goals. Yeah, and Adrian, I, I'm going to stick with you right here. Um, of course, we've we talked about Brandon Aronson possibly going to Leeds. I think it's going to be a bit more tricky. But um, another player that's been linked is Georgia Mihailovic. And you see yeah. Georgia playing for Montreal. And I think we've all in agreement that Georgia has been in spectacular form last year. But already in the CONCACAF uh, Champions League, he has been excellent against uh, Santos Laguna. He's ready for a step abroad, right? He absolutely is. Apparently, he's not ready for the U.S. men's national team. Filippo can speak on that a little bit more. Um, Burhalter ball. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He doesn't fit in, right? He doesn't fit in with the verticality and the XG, etc. Um, they must have a, good, a lot of good midfielders. They must. They must. And I was Manu, saying, just like, just like, sorry to interrupt. Just like John Brooks, right? We have so many good center backs that we can just <laughs> afford to leave a Bundesliga center backs. Like we don't need them. Not even in the roster. That's it. That's it, Filippo. And like I was saying to you, I think it was on Twitter, like just you guys need to convince Berhalter to get interested in expected assists and then Georgie will get right in there. But no, like like Manuel was saying, he's been in just incredible form for Montreal. Best player, I think, for them in the last couple of seasons. And uh, yeah, like he showed against Santos, he can hurt you in many ways. His dribbling, his key passes are just insane constantly. Um, And he just sort of you know, when you're watching MLS, you can just tell the players who right away who could go and make that step to a European league. And Mihailovic is absolutely one of those. And, uh, you know, he just needs to get on that Berhalto team. Right, Filippo? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, he might get an opportunity this March window. I mean, considering Gio Reyna might not make it because of the hamstring injury and Weston McKinney's out. Maybe we'll see some Jordi Mihailovic. Uh but yeah, he. I think he is ready to make a jump. Whether he'll succeed or not, we can't predict the future, right? I think he's ready to accept that challenge. Now, whether he'll be successful in the Premier League or not, only time will tell. The only thing that I'll say is I've watched quite a bit of Mihailovic. Maybe you guys watched more than me. I think probably you guys watched more than, more than me for sure. He's not really the type of player for a high-intensity pressing system, in my opinion. I don't know what you two think about it, but that's just my thought on it. So if Jesse's going to go with a press-press-press system that he loves, a Ragnick style, I don't know. Do you guys think that's what fits for Jordy? Maybe. Maybe not, but I know I know exactly what you mean because he's someone who needs more time on the ball and and you know he needs that time to be able to pick out those passes and to get around players, etc. So it's hard to say. I mean, all I can speak to is that the quality is there as far as his vision, his understanding of the game, his passing ability, his dribbling. I can speak to that for sure. As far as him fitting into a marsh system, I don't know. It's hard to say. What do you think, Matt? Well. I would have probably been more hesitant um, maybe a few months ago. But he was really dynamic in those Champions League games. um, Very much through the middle. And call me crazy, but 
I feel that maybe Leeds know that they're going to have trouble getting Brandon Aronson. So they're going after the next best thing, and that's him. Because, oh my God, I mean, Montreal is going to get so much money if they sell him. Um, I'm talking about 10 million euros plus here, which is an enormous amount of money for a player, right? Um, but I, I just feel like that he has made a step where he's just become a little bit faster through the middle. He has been a bit more flexible where he can play in midfield. And I think it actually could work uh, in a similar way that Aronson adapted his game once he ended up and once he landed in Salzburg. So I think it could work. And um, just because of the way he has kind of improved his activity levels in central midfield. Yeah, just one thing I wanted to add to Jordi Mihailovic, I believe in December, uh, and that's even one of the reasons why he wasn't with the United States in the December camp when we faced Bosnia or Bosnia C team, whatever that was. Uh, Mihailovic was on trial with Bologna at the Serie A. Yeah, he didn't Mm -hmm. stay. Um, I I don't know why, uh, the exact reason, maybe financials, whatever it was, but he did go on trial there. Uh, That's just remember that Bologna is owned by the same people that own Montreal. Yeah. It's a Saputo family. So they might have just had given him the, the opportunity to train there to stay be fit once he gets to Montreal. Yeah, and that's that exactly that, that, That's an important one to remember too because the Saputo family might also know that they could get even more money by moving him for free to, to Bologna, right? Remember, because Chicago own... I don't have the number on top of my head. I think it was 20%. Chicago will get what... 20% of any future transfer outside of MLS. So if they opt to sell him for nothing to Bologna, uh, park him there, and he does well in Serie A, they're still going to get the big money transfer down the road, and then Chicago will get nothing. Yeah, and just one thing before we move on from Mihailovic, unless anyone has anything else to say, I am quite impressed with his evolution from last season to now. Because before last season started... He was part of that United States Olympic qualifying failure. He was in that team and he was very uninspiring like most players in that camp. So to see him revamp from that failure that all the players that were in the roster were a part of, that the United States missed out on the Olympics, it was, it was quite intriguing to see him grow throughout the season of Montreal and start this season where he picked up, where he left off, pick up this season where he left off last season and maybe even better. But yeah, that, that's all I have to say on Mihailovic right there. Yeah, I think that he will earn the Saputo family a lot of money, either by selling him directly now to a team in Europe or by doing what I suggested. Um, we'll see. It's an interesting one. Also an interesting one is uh, Brooks, and you mentioned it already. Uh, Filippo, he has announced that he's going to leave Wolfsburg by the end of the season. I think this has been coming. This is an open secret. I think a lot of people that have followed this situation have known this has been coming. And I'm going to throw something out here. And before everyone jumps on Twitter and attacks me for it, this is a gut feeling. This is an opinion, right? It is not something I know, but I think... Wait, 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 wait. It's an opinion? So yeah, you're going to get attacked on Twitter. There's no way. Okay, it's an opinion. You can attack me for my opinion, but it's not (laughs) a transfer rumor, okay? It's not something that I know. It's an opinion. All right. I think... Bayern Munich should take a look at Brooks. He is 
29. He has the experience. He speaks German. And I think he'd be happy to take a part-time role, similar to what Chupumoting has done. And he would fill, because Bayern will sign two centre-backs. That's a lot of money. It's expensive. I think they can. he could probably earn the same at Bayern Munich, take a part-time role, win a bucket load of titles, right? And free up the necessary funds for Bayern Munich to sign a number one centre-back to replace Sule. Filippo, what do you think of that? And again, this is an opinion. This is not a transfer rumor. I didn't hear that yet. Although I'm pretty sure Bayern Munich are listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> Tomorrow we'll announce this transfer. Yeah, the, the, uh, what's his, um, Julian Nagelsmann just like, hmm, unsackable suggested that I should probably get John Brooks for free. But uh, yeah, again, this is just an opinion. We don't have any actual source that is telling us that John Brooks is going to Bayern. As a United States fan, I would not be opposed to that. Uh, as long as Brooks gets a couple games in the season, like you said, maybe 15 to 20 games, he'll be in a good environment. Uh, obviously, he's not good enough for Greg Berhalter, but then again, who is good enough for Greg Berhalter, right? Um, so I wouldn't be against it. And it, it doesn't sound too crazy. Right, Bayern definitely needs to revamp their defense. As you said, they do need to sign at least two center backs. If they get John Brooks for free, they get a very reliable Bundesliga center back, very capable Bundesliga center back, and that frees up resources and money to make a huge signing rather than signing two center backs. One comes in for free. Uh, Brooks would not be the solution to their back line but he could be a depth piece that could be very important and that they can count on whenever they need in Bundesliga. That's that's my thought on it. But I think John Brooks is making the right move right here um, of leaving Wolfsburg for free, and he can now evaluate his options and hopefully make the right decision. As a free agent, I think there's going to be many offers on the table for him. It's not going to be just one. He's a free agent, and he's a reliable center back. I think there's going to be a lot of clubs interested and I think he'll stay in Germany. I think that is something that's safe to say. Oh, wow. Because that was my next question, because I do know that a couple MLS teams have been sniffing about, but I guess um, they can keep sniffing without any luck. Um, yeah, um, not not saying that Brooks has come out and said anything about it, but I find it very unlikely that John Brooks would come to MLS right now or ever. But right now, mm -hmm. I find it very unlikely. And I, I don't think he'll leave Germany unless there's a spectacular offer elsewhere. But I think the German clubs can cover most offers and his preference would be to stay in Germany. I have a funny feeling about Bayern. I don't know why I have. It's just a, it's a gut feeling, Filippo. You know, when you get that gut feeling and it just kind of makes sense and you think like this could actually I mean, be. It would be, it would be a smart move from Bayern. Like you, yeah. you just pointed out the plan and Bayern's a very smart club. So uh, very well managed, right? They would think about it. It's just like we can bring in this center back for free that we can count on to play Bundesliga matches if we need. And then we can bring all our money and resources to signing a huge name. That will resolve mm. the issues. Again, Brooks is not going to resolve their defensive issues, but he's a very important depth depth piece that they could use. Actually, I'm going to throw Dortmund into this conversation and as well. Why not? Um, Adrian, a player that you know probably better than most on the show, Hector Herrera. Um, as we started recording this podcast, he is going to sign for Houston Dynamo. Confirmed? On a, yeah, it's pretty much confirmed when you look at who's tweeting it i think it's pretty much done 
uh, as a free agent in the summer. Uh, 32-year-old Mexican national team player. Um, he hasn't had the best time at Atletico, eh? No, he hasn't. He certainly left FC Porto on a major high to go to Atletico Madrid. I mean, I guess he won La Liga with them last season, but as far as his actual contributions, especially this season, they've been quite limited. He uh, he hasn't been first choice for Mr. Simeone. His age is, I think, starting to show, at least at that level, playing in a Simeone team that's expected to run so, so much. I just think that it's not being the perfect fit for him. And, uh, you know, this is news to me that he's going to Houston. Um, so, but I think that that's one of the marquee signings that you can look to as someone who brings in an incredible amount of experience um, and will really be, I, I think, and you guys could speak to this better than I could for sure as people who follow MLS a lot closer, but I think that he would automatically be considered one of the top central midfielders in the league, no? I would think so um, from what I've been seeing. I just hope everyone is ready for... They have something to protect their necks. Hector De does like to choke players, and he does like to play with his studs up. So hopefully the players are ready for that. But no, in terms of quality, Hector De is a quality midfielder. He'll be most certainly one of the top midfielders in MLS. If My question always when these players get these signed, when they make these moves to MLS, my main question is not in regards to their quality. I have no doubt that he's a top MLS midfielder. My question's in regards to his commitment. How committed will he be to the club, right? Uh, that's my only question. Just like when LA Galaxy signed Douglas Costa. He's definitely a high-quality winger, but is he committed to this? That's my only question. Yeah, almost 32. Um, there's some interesting stuff happening at Houston, I find, Filippo. You know, obviously, um, they have hugely revamped the ownership there um, and they're trying to, to, to rebuild the squad that isn't really that attractive. The game on the weekend against RSL was, well, hmm, not good. <laughs> it really wasn't good. Um, that was 90 minutes I wanted back. So we watched a lot of MLS and I think this is a good transition right here. Um, talking about the MLS games and the league is back. That's great. I, I think it's wonderful. We had some really good games as well. We had some not so good games. And before we talk about some more specifics, what did stand out to you on match day one, Filippo? Okay, so what stood out to me, and many are going to think this is a joke, but I am dead serious about this right now, is FC Cincinnati. It just seems like it doesn't matter what happens they're just always the same old. It's been three. This is their fourth season in MLS. They finish last every single season. And I tweeted this out before the weekend started saying the most interesting story for me this season is whether or not FC Cincinnati will finally not be the worst team in the league. And what happened was a lot of the people replied saying they would be. Some said they won't be because now there's Charlotte FC and Miguel and Ramirez already even came out and said they were screwed. And to be fair, Charlotte FC did lose 3-0 to DC United, but Charlotte FC actually looked pretty good. If they could have been more clinical in front of the goal, the 3-0 win of DC United against Charlotte was very misleading. It wasn't really what the game was about. Now, FC Cincinnati lost 5-0 to Austin FC, and they were down 3-0 at halftime. Uh, I, I know the last goal was like a late goal, an own goal, but 
it was just horrendous once again. And this is a team that does invest money. They do inject money, have a beautiful stadium, have great fans. But man, FC Cincinnati, it's what I, I, I joked with you guys right before. And, and I want to get, it's like, I don't know what you guys stand on with in regards to promotion relegation, but do you guys agree with me that maybe FC Cincinnati should just get relegated by the end of the season? Is it time? Yes. <laughs> Adrian, what about you? Should we just relegate them? It's like, just make one time, just relegate this team. Absolutely. Just relegate them. No, I mean, I Are don't you? even follow the league that closely and I've heard enough about FC Cincinnati and their ownership that it's time to go. It's time to relegate them. Get them gone. I mean, they were so bad in the first year, and that's fine. But then they signed uh, Brenner for $30 million on a huge transfer, and poor kid, man. Like <laughs> They also signed Joff Cameron. They have some names, right? It's not like it's a disaster, even though Joff Cameron's super old now. But the problem with they, they made a beautiful stadium that the United States even played in World Cup. And it's a good market. That's the yes. other thing. It's actually a good yes. market for the sport. Yeah, but it, I, and and the worst part was when this season kicked off was going to kick off over the weekend. I was like, okay, so they're starting against Austin. Austin yeah. wasn't horrendous last season for a first for for a first season, but Austin wasn't very good either. But they just come in and they just lose five zero. It's not even like they lost one zero as a close. They lost five zero to Austin, and. Looking at it, I was just like, all right, and maybe they're better than Charlotte. But as I said, Charlotte didn't look that bad. And I'm going to be at Charlotte versus Galaxy over the weekend. I'm going to Charlotte to watch this game at the stadium. Charlotte didn't look that bad. And I think Charlotte might even be able to pull an upset at home against the LA Galaxy that defeated New York City. But FC Cincinnati, man, this is the most interesting story to me. It just never changes. No, it never does. Um yeah, it's a it's a very bad. We're laughing about it. <laughs> I think we we hardly ever laugh about a club, but we're laughing about them, and I think that needs, that tells you everything you need to know. Um, Adrian Montreal lost um, a little bit of a Concacaf Champions League hangover. You see that quite a lot with MLS teams that do start in that competition and then struggle a little bit. But there has been one positive story about it, and that's young uh, Ibrahim Kon- Ismail Kone. Um, a central midfielder, 19 years old, born in Abidjan, um, has both Cote d'Ivoire and Canadian citizenship. We need to cap this kit quickly, eh? Yes, we do. We absolutely <laughs> do because it's another option in the midfield that Canada could really use. And, you know, as you said, he, I think the entire team did suffer from a bit of a hangover from the CONCACAF Champions Mm -hmm. League. You know, credit to Orlando. They pressed Montreal well, and Montreal looked kind of hopeless against it in in some respects. And then it got into a bit of the calamity with red cards, etc. But, I mean, as far as Kone goes, he is looking like he's an early contender for, you know, the next best young Canadian. Uh, Although there are a few at Toronto as well, but one of the next best young Canadians that could come through the ranks at an MLS side. He just looks so calm on the ball. He looks so mature on the ball basically playing next to someone like Wanyama. So I think the hopes are high, 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 high for him. Um, I think that a lot of people are going to be backing him because as far as young players that came through the academy at Montreal and then, you know, went abroad, like uh, uh, Balu Tabla, for example, Johnny's Balu Tabla, who went to Barcelona and it didn't really work out. I think that everyone is hoping that Kone will be the next one that takes that step. Obviously, that would be in a year or two. Um 
and early signs, very, very early signs point to him having that calm, cool head that could perhaps lead to that if he is willing to, you know, learn from Wanyama, who isn't the worst person to learn from, is he? No, he's not. So much experience. Um, I find it really interesting, too. There's a lot of young players on MLS rosters this year who last year played in the Canadian Premier League. And there was another signing, of course, Avur, who played for Forge. He's been signed by St. Louis uh, for their MLS Next Pro team, which is going to feed into the MLS team next year. And we have a few on Montreal's roster. We have a few on Toronto's roster. Um, I think that's a great development for Canadian soccer. We're going to stay root, Filippo. I'm sorry. Um, but Toronto, I don't need to mention Toronto. Um, Jaden Nelson, DeAndre Kerr, and in Hakil Marshall Ruti, three Canadian teenagers starting for TFC under Bob Bradley. Uh, I think that is worth a shout out. I think that is really, really, really good for the sport in this country. And good job, Toronto, for doing this. Filippo, um, I'm sorry for being rude, but what do you want? No, 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 no. That wasn't rude, and I'm also used to it. I just wanted to even address a little bit of Canadian soccer there because what what Canada needs to, and, and the, the Canadian soccer fans need to embrace this, they can't allow this Canadian generation to be the one golden generation and then Canada just goes back to what they were. Canada has to continue, right? There has to be continuity with this great generation that Canada has right now with young players, they're going to last many more years, right? These guys are still young. A lot of them are still young. Um, Eustachio, I believe, is 25. Alfonso Davies, 22. Jonathan David, 22. I-, I hope I'm saying their ages correctly. But there has to be more. Canada has to continue. And sure, maybe the next generation is not as strong as this one. But Canada, for now on, has to always be a competitive nation in CONCACAF. Right. They can't go back to what they were before. And what you're talking about, you and Adrian, that is part of the process. These academies have to continue to develop players and you're going to get players that are bust and players that work out. But they can't stop with this generation. That's continuity. That's what I think Canadian soccer has to aim for, because this generation will accomplish something special. Right. Just for starters, qualifying to the World Cup, which look, Canada's qualified at this point. But I think they're going to win some trophies, maybe Nations League, maybe Gold Cup, 2026. Who knows how far Canada can make with this generation. But there has to be continuity. You have to continue to develop. You can't just have this generation and end it right there. I think that's a really good point because I think Canada has the stars. Now we need the depth. That's essentially where we're at. And this is, this is what the Canadian Premier League is here for. And this is what the three MLS teams need to do. And um, by the most part, they're doing it, even if Vancouver had an absolute disastrous spell. And then we need to move these players on, Um, even if it hurts. We need to move them on and uh, have them develop somewhere else, even if it's within the league, because we need to have lots of Canadians playing in MLS, because that will be the backbone. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely 100% spot on. And let's leave it on this positive, because it's good to leave on the positive. So... We'll be back soon. Uh, Next time, hopefully with Josh back on the podcast as well. And until then, cheers and bye-bye.